This hour is brought to you by the Chicago Golf Show. For tickets, visit chicagogolfshow.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station, Station. I think what Ross has is um, he just has a communication style that he can relate to every single player in the clubhouse. I think strategically he's been pretty solid. Like he understands how to manage a game, but but really like it's a long season and your manager has to keep a lot of guys focused and you know there's always going to be little dramas and he has to be able to be there for his guys when those happen. And I think everyone on the team respects him and uh, looks forward to playing for him. So I think he's got he's got the uh, the ability to be one of the you know best managers of all time. We just have to keep giving him the right players best managers of all time right there with connie mack and tony Larusa. sorry that was tom ricketts in his annual state of the team address where he pretty much says the same thing every year but nice stuff about the cubs manager who took the time to join the scorers morning show of mully and haw today Zach Zaidman sitting alongside Mike Mulligan, and Rossi was asked, how's spring training going so far? It's a good vibe around camp. I mean, you know, I think the expectations internally are always extremely high, and, you know, you try to get the most out of everybody, but we've got names and hardware and guys with uh, real awards, championship caliber players that uh, have proven on the biggest stage. So definitely exciting, good vibe around camp. Guys are into the routines bring in good energy and understand what it takes to get prepared for 162. Hey, Rossi, has the routine changed because of all the new rules that are going to be implemented, meaning are drills different getting ready for all the new stuff that's going to take place? Yeah, I mean, we're we're going over the new rules, so, we, so we've had two meetings on just making sure we're locked in on what the uh, language of the rules are and, and what the intention is, and, and then we're the live VPs are set to clocks. Um, we're making sure that we're calling guys out on they're not in the box on time as far as hitters and just making sure they know, you know, first day, like a guy like Justin Steele, one of his tendencies was to get the ball and rub it up on the mound. You know, you can buy yourself a couple of extra seconds to if you get that ball off the dirt and, and in the grass and, you know, go through some of your um, nuances to get ready to, to pitch. So, just finding that new rhythm of our game, the, the I guess the rhythm is what I'm trying to say, that we all play at. There's a rhythm to what's going on in our game. It's going to have to pick up just a little bit, and the guys are getting used to that. Do you like the new rules? Is there any one you like more than others? Um, you know, I think I'm a big wait-and-see guy. It, they are the new rules, and I, I haven't felt them yet. I haven't. We haven't gotten games quite yet. That starts tomorrow. We'll start to feel some of those, um, what those feel like, and you know, I'm a wait and see. I think the product on the field from everything that I've heard is the pace of the game and, you know, getting games in and under three hours is, has been a priority for a little bit and the, the fans' attention span and how the game is played. I think we'll see a lot of action. Um, I actually love the the no-shift stuff and letting the athletes play. There will be more hits go through. It's going to elevate some of the, the defensive stuff we'll see and I think that's exciting for our game, and it'll actually probably get more guys on base with these guys that hit the ball on the ground to one side, and you've got a bunch of fielders over on one side of the field. I think that's exciting. Now, if it plays in our favor, I'm always going to be in in favor of it, and if it it hurts us, I'm going to hate it. So that's just kind of the competitor in me. Do you think that, at least from a catching standpoint, do you think, and you talked about action, 
are we going to see more stolen bases? Because I know you were kind of forced to to let your team run a lot more last year because of the lack of power. Do you think just naturally, based on these rules, we're going to see more of that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do think that. I think the minor league numbers show that stolen bases have gone up. You know, I think getting to the next base is is important to me, and especially if you don't have the home run hitters, like you said, we didn't have a whole lot of those guys last year, just a, a lineup full of thumpers like we did when I first started managing. So I think you adjust to your team, but I think as far as the league goes, you know, from everything I've heard, stolen base went up in the minor leagues. I would assume that would, you know, transcend up to us and be one of those things that teams are going to look at. You know, you got to got a little bit closer to the base, those bang-bang plays may be safe instead of out. Uh, David, I'm curious when you think about um, the middle infield defense and the way that uh, that you're anticipating these guys playing together. We, we had talked about what is essential for winning baseball with the new rules, and one of the things, obviously, you're going to have two shortstops in the middle infield, and that's kind of exciting because I think, when we watched you guys win a World Series, you had like historic defense. So maybe it's uh, it's hearkening back to those days. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I see it is we do have elite defense up the middle. You know, belly and center also adds to that. I think our catching group is some of the better defensive catchers in our game. You know, Tucker Barnhart, two gold gloves. Jan Gomes, a finalist, you know, three times. I think defense you can bring every single day. I think defense-based running fundamental baseball is important. Pitching and defense, I think, is is a priority for me, and, and we're built that way. And, you know, we we had a really nice second half as far as our pitching staff last year. So building on that, some guys still coming and, and continue to, you know, get better. We've got we've got, always got to be pushing to get better. And I think we've got championship caliber players at the plate. But, you know, I think you can bring defense every single day, and, you know, hitting is kind of a little bit volatile. It, it comes and goes for each guy, and, and you're going to have, have waves of that. But I think pitching and defense something that, that steadies us throughout, you know, the, the course of the season. Molly described this as uh, a dark period for you uh, the last couple of years as the Cubs were retooling. But, but from a managerial standpoint, and I know there's this talk that, you know, managers don't have as much of an emphasis in the game today as they did back in the day, but with you – where did you get better as a manager because of what transpired the last two years? I think I evolve every single day, every game, every experience makes me better. The, the thought process, the things I have to work through, um, the patience you have to have, the implementing things that are important to a young group with, with not as much winning experience. And I think one thing looking back on and seeing young guys get better and me prioritizing and my staff prioritizing areas that we want to improve on and watching them go out and, and do those things and it helping us have a better second half. Um, and then, you know, the players being bought in and, and not giving up on a season where we're 20 games out, they continue to fight every single day. Those are the things that you look back on and you, you're proud of, but you understand like there was real, real significant growth. And I've got to continue to find those areas to continue to help us get better and push the guys forward in all that I believe. And um, I think looking back and, and on the last couple of seasons, I think my, my patience grows every single day and understanding that, you know, it's, we want perfection. We're always going to be striving for perfection, but uh, it's not a perfect game. It's an imperfect game. We're imperfect people. And you get good, talented group pushing all in the right direction. That's the, that's the, that's the way to start it. 
David, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, he wrote a story about Wilson Contreras. And in it, there were a lot of anonymous quotes and some anger from Wilson in response. But in it, he wrote, uh, Contreras' approach occasionally frustrated Cubs manager David Ross, a former catcher, and the team's coaching staff, according to sources. He said that Contreras prepared, he worked hard, but he did not always prepare and work the way the coaches wanted. What's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, I I read that article. Somebody sent me that. You know, I don't think that there's much. I didn't see any facts in there that that Ken wrote, and I respect Ken's ability and and what he's done in this game. But um, I love Wilson. I I don't have any bad things to say about Wilson. Um, And I would, you know, as a former catcher, I would would give real pause to anybody questioning game calling and preparation um, unless you've caught – um, you should never be commenting on those things. I, I think Wilson's a championship caliber catcher. That's why uh, he got such a big contract. I think uh, the industry showed you what kind of worth he has. And, you know, he's a brother for life for me, World Series brother. Um, I don't have any negative things to say about Wilson. That guy went out every single day and played hard, um, played for this organization extremely hard, was a part of a lot of winning here. So, um, you know, without bashing anybody that – that writes stuff, you know, I didn't, I didn't see anything in that, that article that would, would give any, um, you know, credibility to that, you know, like you said, anonymous stuff and, right. and, and no factual stuff. Wilson, Wilson's a really good player and, you know, what three-time all-stars only a couple of those in Chicago Cubs history. Um, I think the frustration on my end always comes with losing and trying to find ways to do that. So um, that's probably all I have to say about that. Did you talk to him at all? Or do you? I mean, do you wait till you play him and then you tell him, or how does that work? Uh, uh, yeah, I talked to him after he signed his contract. I didn't talk to. Him. I, I don't. I don't call people because somebody wrote an article. Okay. You know, fair like enough. that doesn't. Yeah, uh, I think I've got a relationship with Wilson uh, that goes way back, a lot deeper than being his manager. So uh, I called him to congratulate him on his contract. We talked for a little bit. Uh, wished him the best and and told him we were going to try to kick his butt when we played him, and he <laughs> he he, re, he reiterated the same. So um, yeah. Rossi, when it comes to, to pitching, and obviously it always starts with pitching when it comes to, to winning games in, in Major League Baseball, can you take us through kind of the thought process of uh, trying to fill that that number five spot in, in the rotation until Kyle Hendricks gets healthy, and then why this team has had so much success navigating through so many different bullpen arms over the last few years and how you go about finding that right mix for you? Um, well, we got a couple of guys. I think some of the guys that put themselves on the map last year, Adrian Sampson had a really nice year. He'll be competing for that fifth spot along with Hayden Wisniewski, uh, Javier Saad. We've got guys that are going to be in the mix for that, that back end of the rotation spot. And, you know, we've also done a really nice job to your point in the bullpen. These, you know, our front office and our pitching group identified some free agents that might be undervalued or have, things that we can improve on or help with. I wouldn't say improve on, say help with. And then it's all about the players, man. The players go out and perform, you know, like no secret, Andrew Chafin, you know, Ryan Tapera, David Robertson. Um, you know, I'm going to miss somebody. A lot of, you know, uh, Michael Givens. Um, there's a lot of guys. Yeah. All the, like Chris Martin, all these guys coming in have had some success and whether there's an injury history or, some things didn't go right for the back end of a, of a half of a season, and um, I think we identified people that we don't want to give up on, and, and we don't. We're not always right, uh, and I, I would I say we as a group 
I'm not identifying those guys. They give me those guys, and we try to, with me and Tommy and CY and Dan Moscos and, and our group, we try to set guys up for success and what their strengths and weaknesses are and put them in the right spot to succeed. And um, we've done a nice job of that. That's also very much year to year. And at the end of the day, the players got to go out and perform, and they've done a really nice job of that. So I would love to give – the credit to our organization has done a nice job of doing that, but uh, the real credit goes to the players. That's David Ross. Our coverage of Cubs spring training on the score is sponsored by Sloan, official water efficiency partner of the Chicago Cubs. There's some ugly goings on in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now, and not surprisingly, some of the best coverage is coming from Yahoo Sports, and our next guest, Dan Wetzel, is going to join us to give us the latest on the ugly turns of events down there on the score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I want to address yesterday's press conference and my response to the Brandon Miller question. I'm not here to make excuses, but I want to make it clear that I didn't have the details from the hearing that morning since I was coming straight from practice, and I used a poor choice of words, making it appear like I wasn't taking this tragic situation seriously. I know that uh, Dan Wetzel of Yahoo wrote about this. Indeed he did. And then we said, well, why don't we talk to him rather than just reading what he's written? Because the details keep emerging and people involved keep saying they're learning more and they're finding out things. I didn't mean what I said. And now that I know this, I mean this. And now that people have responded to it, I'm going to unsay this and try to say something else. Oh, my God. Dan Wetzel is on Twitter, at Dan Wetzel. The Yahoo Sports columnist is with us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. So I, I guess the question, Dan, is is where are we right now, and how much are the sands underneath this this story and Alabama's response still shifting? Well, right now we are, uh, I guess, about 24 hours from Alabama hosting Arkansas. And I, at this point, everyone's going to play in that game, but there's just so much unknown um, about the case that, uh, and and clearly Alabama doesn't really know. Uh, They didn't, they were not aware, you know, what, what Nate Oates is really saying is he was not aware until there was a, an actual pretrial hearing in the, in the murder case that, uh, Darius Miles had sent a text to Brandon Miller saying, "I, you know, I need my gun. Uh, we're in this dispute." And Brandon Miller drove his car with the gun in it over to the scene of the dispute, and the gun got taken out of the car and used to shoot up Tuscaloosa and, and kill this uh, this young mother. So he didn't know about that as of Tuesday. Uh, Alabama did not really do an investigation into this because. Um, for somewhat good reasons, you can understand that they don't want to be, you don't need Nate Oates trying to play detective on a, when there's a murder trial go and a murder investigation going on either. However, the amount that they don't know about that night is kind of shocking when the head coach is just as surprised as everyone else to find out that arguably the best player in college basketball uh, ferried a, a, a weapon over to what would be a murder scene and, and really could have been a much bigger scene. I mean, it was a shootout in a bar district in a college town. I mean, there were kids all over the place and there were at least 11 bullets flying around and were 
you know, one week after we dealt with Michigan State, we're very lucky that it was only uh, the tragedy was was contained uh, as bad as it was. It wasn't more widespread. So it's it's a wild story, and and there's just a lot unknown, um, including by the people in in Tuscaloosa. I keep rereading accounts, and I'm trying to find experts on it, and I'm I'm struggling, Dan, because look, I'm not a lawyer, but I. I feel like this is one of those things where logic and and our legal system aren't necessarily on the same page. I'm really struggling how Miller is not charged as an accessory here. And and the legal experts, I, I haven't seen anyone agree with me, which is stunning to me considering the, the act that took place. So I, I've read the Alabama statute and it, it clearly states that um, Brandon Miller would have to know the intent um, of uh, Darius Miles and his friend uh, who, who actually did the shooting. Um, but they would have to know those guys were going to take the gun and shoot somebody and were going to use it in the commission of a crime. And to know that intent would be a a a it would be a challenge um it's really close right it's close but these are the decisions prosecutors make all the time Mm -hmm. and so they decided they don't know like darius miles the basketball player did not shoot the gun but he literally said there's a bullet in there like he he knew what was going to happen when he when he handed the gun off to his buddy who was drunk brandon miller Probably didn't. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. How do you prove he knew for sure that this was going to happen? That's the standard on why Brandon Miller is or isn't arrested here. And again, um, he's unlikely to be uh, prosecuted, right? So he's in the clear legally. But, you know, I think this is what has everyone on pause with Alabama's response. Like, it's close. Like, it's close. It wasn't like, hey, man, I wasn't even there. I was just walking by or whatever, right? Or they stashed a gun under the seat I, I, earlier when they were in the car. I had no idea it was there. Something like that, you'd be like, okay, that's kind of understandable. This is a close call. And in other prosecutors might have gone for it. Or if the law in Chicago is different or, or, or Champaign, Illinois, or wherever it is, is different, then maybe that's the deal. So it's close, and that's the thing. It's like, man, if the standard here for any discipline is – You've been charging a felony murder. Right. Especially- what are we doing here? I mean, that's <laughs> okay. just, where, where have we moved the bar? It's the unbelievable bar to me. It's unbelievable yeah, to me, Dan. I mean, we've talked about college scandals. You know, you and with various incarnations of the show sitting with us going back to what, 2003 yeah. when, when you started doing this for, for Yahoo full time. I mean, I, I can't believe it's like, well, he wasn't charged in a felony murder case when coaches talk <laughs> all the time about about judgment and uh, just about responsibility, responsibility, decision making, teammate and right. And and why not? Because, Hey, bring me my gun. How about no, how about, how about, let me go pick, let let me go pick you up. Right. Let let me, how about, how about, look, are you, are you okay? Let me go. How about, how about we go get something to eat? How about I pick you up? Let's, let's, let's get you home. I mean, and, and for, for a basketball team, to say, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know, he's not, he's not charging felony murder. Go get him. 
it's it's amazing to me where where we've put this now, and even sort of the national embarrassment of it doesn't seem to matter. Nope, it's uh, this is the lowest the bar of discipline has ever hit in college athletics. Like, I mean, people were like, it was a story last year when Bill Self, while under you know, it's huge NCAA violations case for paying players or not playing or having Adidas do stuff, all this stuff under investigation, yet rewarded with a lifetime contract from Kansas, wins the national championship, and the NCAA, which is investigating and trying to hammer him, hand him the trophy, right? That, that's like the colorful backdrop of college sports, right? There's always this, ah, he's cheating and money and all that. Who the hell cares, right? That's just money. That's just kids getting money. Yeah, and this like, this is this is literally will become the standard now of like why would I suspend this kid for a bar? I mean, Alabama played a guy who brought a murder weapon over to the thing, and they didn't even care. Like the the bar just went, whew, and it's that's the part. Just as an observer, it's like wow, like Alabama wins national championships and all sorts of things all the time. Like why are like they got tons of money? They're in the SEC. This is. This is going to be the most rogue program of all. Like, this is a crazy thing. There was another player there, too. Right. And and there's two, there were three Alabama players there. One is facing the murder, the, 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 the murder charge. The other brought the weapon. Another one was there. So there was three guys at the site of a, and I'm, I'm going to keep calling it a mass shooting because that's what it was. It just didn't hit anybody else. Only one person got hit. But if you're just firing bullets and you have a shootout in the middle of a of a bar district, it's just by the you know pure dumb luck that nobody else got hit and killed. And it's a it's Brandon a, Miller's own car got hit twice. Yes, it, it's a state university too. Like this is this is a publicly funded university, and I'm just wondering is is this is this gun culture? Is this sports culture? Is it the fact that it that the player is this good and the team is this good? Is it all of the above? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if, if, if I'm a student there, I'm upset that the basketball team, this is what, like, I mean, you know those, you know those strips. It's called the strip in Tuscaloosa. Everyone's been around a college campus. It's, there's four bars and two coffee shops and a, you know, fast food place, and this is where everyone goes. And at 1.30 at night, there's a, there's a ton of kids there. And, yeah, we're just shooting it up. Um, I don't know. We don't, it, but, like, here's the thing. They didn't even know two days ago. Three days ago. They don't know why the other guy was there. Who called him? Who texted him? Was anyone else coming? What, what, what happened? Nobody, for, like, Brandon Miller's or his attorney did not come forth to the school at any point and say, hey, Coach, Coach Nate Oates, uh, by the way, you might want to know, Brandon actually drove over with the gun. And he's not going to get charged. We thought you should know. Nope. Nobody told anybody anything. So, the idea that you go on this, all of a sudden, this is the standard is like, well, he's not charged. It's like, okay, he wasn't charged, but it was close. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, I'm not going to say the prosecutor's wrong to do, you know, that's a hard job being a prosecutor. You got to make these decisions. So that's the decision. But it's like, boy, this is, this is unbelievable. This is the standard. Um, this is where we're at in college athletics. It's like everyone just rallies around their team and, 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 and and our team's right, and your team, everyone else is wrong, and I don't know. I, this is a standard. The bar of behavior is never – I mean, this is the lowest I could ever recall. 
Dan, is there any recourse for for Greg Byrne and, and Nate Oates because of them? If we take on on faith that they didn't know this stuff, is there any recourse for them to be like, wait a minute, you you didn't technically commit a crime according to state statute, but you not telling us what happened violates whatever code of conduct or team rules because you're right like for for oats to be either oblivious or trying to pull off the 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 greatest kaiser sose act possible for him to be sitting up there and not know some of these details it feels like there wasn't a real great investigation or you had a player that didn't want or felt the need to tell you the truth so that you could handle it. Yeah. And I, I, I believe, I actually, I believe them. They didn't know there was no investigation and, and on it, on a, there is a reason for that. And again, it's a reasonable thing. You say there's a murder, let the police handle it. Right. We're not detectives. This is way beyond our, it's, it's, it's too serious. And if we're calling over to the cops, it might look like we're tampering or we're getting in the way. We don't want to talk about it at all. If the police officer has a question, we cooperate 100%, but we're not going to get involved. So at that point, you step back. And there is certainly an intellectual argument that says that's the absolute right way, right? Get out of the way. Let's see what happens. At the same time, you kind of need to know something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and they didn't know anything. And, and so it's already spiled. And then you just go, okay, but is the story over or not? Because no, like, they're good. Parent like, this knows, was, like, well, maybe there's a little more to come or what, like, what about this? Where were you? What'd you do again? Like you have so many obvious questions here and you go, okay, I don't know, but they're pushing forward. It isn't just that, Dan. It's if they have, I would imagine they've, they've got a, if not their own internal crisis PR people, that they've certainly enlisted the services of an outside firm to, I, I would imagine, take a look at what's going on. And anybody trained in this is looking at the NCAA tournament. If What, what if they make a run? What, I mean, even if, like, this is just starting. And, and and other outside like the the national networks i mean the the details of this are such that the number of of primetime shows that would want to dig into this like this is just the start of the start and i don't i they, well, somebody, I mean, probably two trials. Yeah, and trial like who's who's advising out. them to say, oh, you know what? We'll just pretend it's going to go away. Let him play. The attention that's going to come to this, and like you say, with every drip, drip that that is in any deposition or anything under oath, or when they when they dump the phones, the the, the further mm-hmm. this goes, we don't know what other texts are on there. So how are they not out ahead of it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's the question I, I'm just it, it's like so here's the thing right the woman woman is murdered there's a kid without her mom I mean the whole thing's ridiculous it's a tragic ridiculous horrible event and if Brandon Miller is suspended or or not or doesn't play the rest of the year and it goes on in the NBA or whatever none of that brings that back right so a lot of this just doesn't really matter but in the history of college athletics when something like this not even this big happens, they start suspending players and like, what is going on? Right. Like there's a, there's a normal reaction. We have seen all sorts of quote unquote, like rogue programs out there and they would 
there's the re- all right, this guy's got to sit, let's figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. If there's an allegation that a booster paid a player, they usually sit the player for a little while and say, all right, what do we got here, right? Right. Alabama has just changed the paradigm of that by just saying, yeah, play. That's the most interesting, and I, I don't even, I don't want to use a positive term on any part of this, but that's the most, maybe, like, that's that's what's, with all due respect, that is the interesting part to me. It's like, wait, they're just going with it. And it's like, okay, like what that, that surprises me. And it's Alabama. I understand that like people, oh, it's just SEC. Nobody, all they care about is winning and that's the rep. But then it's like, well, you're kind of playing right into that, but this is a very powerful university that wins all the time and has tons of money. And yeah, they don't win in basketball, but whatever they win in everything else. Um, it's just it's 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 a striking moment where you just like okay Alabama's the one that just said this is the standard he wasn't charged with a felony wasn't charged as accessory to murder so let's go um, and we don't even know what the other third guy was doing there like being on the site of a murder is not a common like there's all sorts of stuff that happens at college right? maybe there's a fight at a party maybe this that whatever goes on but it's like. They're not, you're not at the scene of a murder. Dan, you chronicled a lot of stuff. Um, and I was, I was saying to Dan, my Dan, uh, yeah. that, that, that it, you didn't even include the stuff at Coppin State. You know, like it, th- right. this year has been an absolute disaster yeah, right. when, when it comes to, to stories in college basketball. How did we get here? I mean, like, yeah, it's a lot of unrelated stories, but yeah, we have, I mean, there was a there was a, a self defense murder at New Mexico State. There was this murder, domestic violence uh, felony that was later dropped with the Texas coach. There's you know the whole Michigan State thing. I, I mean, I think they're all unrelated, but they all kind of come back to college basketball, and it's just I think society. Why? I mean, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's anything that ties them all together, but it's it's just been like that kind of season where you're just like, wow, this is like each week there's something tragic or, you know, over the top, uh, you know, happening. And you're just like, gosh, you know, this is tough. Um, it's just for, for whatever reason, it's all falling on college basketball. I don't think it's anything college basketball is doing. I think it's just, this is the society we're in right now. And it's all landing right here. Coincidentally, at the same time. Dan Wetzel. Great stuff. Appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks, man. Always good to be on, guys. Take care. That is Dan Wetzel, columnist for Yahoo Sports. Uh, when we come back, let's hear uh, from Elvis Andrews. Wait, 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 wait. What? Dan, are you saying that you've got, like, good White uh, Sox stuff? I think so. I think this qualifies as, as White Sox positivity and talking yeah. about a, a signing that makes sense and makes them a better team. All right. I I am here for it. We'll do that next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I spent a lot of time researching where to put who. Go White Sox! That's our happy socks music. That's perfect, Ray. Ideal. 
That's it. That's, that's a- really well done. You know when you get something in your head that you think is going to sound a certain way and it just absolutely yeah. delivers? Yeah. Like in, in radio, it's it's when you kind of know that you're in tune with your producers when you throw them a vague idea like, I think we should use Beck. And they're like, you mean this part? Okay. <laughs> Great. Yep, that's it. And and that's the music that you're going to hear from now on when we say nice things about the White Sox. Uh, I've got a nice thing for you, and it's an opportunity. You know that uh, the poker event that we do every year for Camp One Step and Children's Oncology Services is really important to me. And we are so excited to be back in action once again Thursday, April 20, 420. Easy to remember, 420 for the Charity Poker Championship that benefits the kids. We're going to send kids with cancer to camp and help them be a part of all of our programs. And it's the same place as last year, back at Galleria Marchetti, 825 West Erie Street. This room is going to be full. It's ab- it's going, it, it always fills it's up. It's always full. It's packed, y'all. It is always packed, and this is a, an official play-in it's a qualifier for the World Series of Poker main event. The winner of this tournament will go to Vegas. It will fly you. We will put you up, and you will compete if you win this tournament. And it's only a $300 player seat, which for a WSOP main event play-in is inexpensive. We've got the high roller seats for 700 If you just want to come hang out and eat and drink forever and a day, you can come spectate for 125 and. Right now, we've got a special deal going on. If you plan to register, you it would befit you to register right now because we've got a few spots for the next four days. We've got another handful of spots that remain that are going to include a free add-on of 5000 in chips, which is a $100 value. And you're not going to have to pay anything extra for it. All you have to do is grab one of those seats now instead of waiting for the calendar to roll around to March. So if you plan to play, don't say, well, I'm going to. I just haven't registered yet. Register now. Go to camponestep.org. Look at the pinned tweet in my Twitter profile. But it is camponestep.org. Go there. Get registered and be a part of this wonderful event. And I mean, last year it was just a rip roaring success, and everybody was happy and full and drinking, and it was so much fun. And we're going to do it again, and it's it's uh, it's everybody in a room enjoying. So again, you can go to camponestep.org, or you can go to the pinned tweet in my Twitter profile at Dan underscore Bernstein to come be a part of it. You should do it. It's a lot of fun. People come out. You're going to be a bounty? You're yeah. Get yourself knocked yeah. out for charity? Well, this time I'll try not to get knocked out on the first hand. Um, I've had actually pretty good success at the tournament before last year. So, you know, hopefully I'll be good this time. See, we can get some people to come and hang out with us. It's a good time. And that spot last year was perfect, too, yep. Dan. The weather was, it was like 75 degrees and there was a breeze and... And remember that high roller room where, yes. where our guy Sri Rao Dude, he of, was pouring. of Edrington uh, Spirits? Oh, it was phenomenal. Was pouring all sorts of like molten gold. <laughs> I mean, things you couldn't believe. Yes. Things you'll never see again. You will have a very, very good time. It helps a wonderful cause. The White Sox brought back Elvis Andrews. Yay. So that's good, right? You know what else is good? Vinny Duber of CHGO, who used to be at NBC Sports Chicago covering the White Sox. He 
got a chance to talk with Elvis. And if you're looking for some leadership stuff, if you're like, where are the White Sox going to find that thing that they might be missing? Patrick Beverly. No, not. Oh. I don't know if he plays baseball. Oh, okay. Now that, that Jose Abreu is gone, is someone like Elvis Andrews someone that could step into the role? Here's what Vinny and Elvis discussed. Everybody needs, you know, leadership. You know, it's not one guy, you know, that's running the show. He, he has to be, there's a lot. He's like a, like a, you know, a military chain command. You know, you got your president, then you got your general and colonel. So I feel that, you know, I've been in teams where he's like that. He's not only one guy. Everybody's doing their job. Everybody's, you know, you know, getting accountable for everyone. You know, it's like, no matter if you got one or two years and you see somebody doing what we're not supposed to do, like, you know, calling aside. And, and I feel that... You don't need to have 20 years in the big league to talk to your teammate like, hey, man, come on. Like, we need, you know, we got to play hard. That's not the way we play. That's not uh, an ABC for us. So I feel, you know, that's, that's the most important thing for any team. Is this team still looking for that leadership? Is, is that something that comes about in spring training? Or do you think you walk in and, and there's guys here that can do it and, and you can add to it as well? No, I think there are guys that are already stepping into that role. Uh, you know, for me, kind of, you know, coming and, and helping with my experience, I think I can – easy you know easy out a lot of that stuff because it's not easy you know when when you know you go and you hey, now you're a leader you know it's i think that you don't it's not like oh i'm a leader you have to earn it you know and you have to respect each teammate you have to be there for your teammates you have to you know be an example so for me i'm i'd rather do that you know i'd rather be that kind of example be that type of leadership and and you know, when you do that, they're gonna they're gonna you know when they see you working hard and you've been playing for a little you know for a long time, they're like, well, he's been playing for a long time. Look, you know how hungry it is. So I feel with example, I mean, he's a lot, he's a better uh, leadership for me, and, and and that's the one that I always try to transmit to my teammates. Speaking of leaders, what about the leader of this team, Pedro Grafol, the new manager? What have you noticed from him in, in just a few days here at camp? Yeah, no, so far so good, man. Uh, you know, very good communicating. I think that's always key for any manager you have to know how to communicate with players uh right now it's easy going spring training uh but when the season starts that's when like that's the hardest part you know like how like every player we all different you know you have to learn how to communicate to each player we all got different uh trigger points so uh but i mean so far you know he's a really uh easy person to talk and i feel that that's a really good quality for a manager to have and I mean, everybody feel comfortable around him. He's he's gonna let us play. He's gonna let our talent to go out there. And I mean, he only got a few rules, but I mean, they're easy rules actually. You know, so I mean, so far so good. And you know, we hope we hope we can you know just make the job for him a lot easier this year. What are his rules? Uh, well, you know, he's very very big on culture uh, and like what that phrase embody. Uh, you know, so I think that he's trying to get that Chicago White Sox pride back. And it's huge. I think every every successful team does it, and like an every daily basis. So, I think that is something that you know the team kind of ran away a little bit last year, and and you know it's, it's it's really good. I mean, spring training is a great time to start working on that. You know, getting that pride back. Like you know, we're here for a reason. We're a really good team, and we're gonna show you. So he's bringing all those uh, thoughts and those mentality to the team early on, and I think that you know we have to keep working on it. But it's, you know they're right on point. You've been on good teams before, winning teams before, teams that have gone far. You seem to know what it what it takes for a team to succeed. Do you think this team, this White Sox team, can do what it takes to succeed coming up this season? I believe so, man. Like I said, uh, it's very rare to have 
you know, mix of talent. Like, we have a lot of guys been playing, you know, a lot of years. And we have guys that are coming up and, like, with huge amount of talent. So there's guys in the middle also that they want to prove, that they, they want to prove. So I think that, like, this year is a very key year for, I mean, if you see it from every standpoint, you know, having a new manager, guys, you know, they want to improve, guys are going to go free agency. So I think that that's always a great mix when you have all those quality things. Uh, in a clubhouse so for us it's just to like engage you know like be united uh, pulling you know the road the same one way one direction uh, and if we do that I mean the talent I mean you don't I mean you, you can be blind and, and, and listen to names and you're already like wow they're gonna win so it's about believe it I think that is is big I'm a, I'm a big believer of that I'm always positive and I don't really care you know the league or the other teams I only care about our clubhouse and our guys and you know, just do our best and, you know, do everything 100%. And if we do that, we want to win. We know that. Sounds good, man. Sounds great. Like Thanks that. to Vinny Duber and the folks over at CHGO for that. I like Elvis quite a bit. And I'm glad that he's back. Because I really didn't like the idea of both second base and right field being experiments. It, it is kind of an experiment for guys who's never played it before. Yeah, but I know that he knows how to play Major League Baseball. And quite honestly, if we're talking about the White Sox or the Cubs, I think they're both in good shape because they actually have two shortstops playing the two middle infield positions. Which you got to have now because mm-hmm. of the new rules. Did you hear what Theo said about um, – what Speegs was suggesting, I think you and we were talking in transition last about the new shift, about the new shift in like taking your left fielder and then moving him over yeah. there. Theo said that there's no rule against it now, but if they see too much of it, they're going to put a rule in. Hey wow. guys, great interview with Theo. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> because I do like that is something that. I'm absolutely fascinated by on how managers are going to try and deploy. Hey, you're, you're, if you're going to prevent a team from playing the best possible defense and you're going to keep moving with the rule, like if you're going to keep mandating bad defense, I don't know how far you're going to go. Yeah, me neither. It's something to watch, though. That's for sure. Something to listen to is the professor... Will Purdue, he's going to talk about Patrick Beverly making his Bulls debut, a game you'll hear tonight on your home for Bulls basketball, Sports Radio 670. He's next on The Score.